Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 11th of December 2022, 9.30 service. Katie Loffman speaking on, what do we learn about the coming of Jesus from John the Baptist? Well, whenever there's a royal visit, the Queen, or now the King, they don't just turn up unannounced, do they? There are weeks or maybe months of preparations beforehand. People go ahead of her to make sure that everything is prepared just the way she likes it. And everything is scrubbed clean and painted up new. And so as a result, we've got this saying that the Queen probably thinks that the whole country smells of fresh paint. (laughs) Well, that's what John the Baptist was doing for Jesus. He was, can we have the previous slide, sorry. What John the Baptist, thank you. That's what John the Baptist was doing for Jesus. He was sent ahead to prepare God's people for the coming of the Messiah. He didn't paint over the wilderness or anything, but he inspired people to clean up their hearts and freshen up their lives so that when they met Jesus, they'd be ready with their hearts open in anticipation, ready to turn to Jesus, ready to be part of his kingdom. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as we know, on the first Christmas day. But six months before that, another baby was born, Jesus' cousin, John. John's mother was Elizabeth, who was related to Mary, and she and her husband couldn't have children. But then, in her old age, a miracle happened, and Elizabeth miraculously became pregnant with John. Luke's account of the way that happened, we heard in the reading, has a lot of similarities with Abraham and Sarah. When they were told that they were going to have a baby, that turned out to be Isaac. Both Abraham and Sarah and Zachariah and Elizabeth were important couples with high status jobs, both living a good life close to God. Yet for both of them, that was undermined by this deep sadness in their life of not having any children. And in those days, there was a terrible stigma on the wife and it caused them a huge amount of anguish as it does for many couples today. Both Sarah and Elizabeth were well past, past childbearing age and it had just never happened for them. Then suddenly, a mysterious visit. Abraham and Sarah were at home when three men appeared at their tent, who turned out to be God. And Zachariah was in the temple in the Holy of Holies when none other than the angel Gabriel appeared with a message. Both Abraham in his tent and Zachariah in the city were told that they were going to be dads. What a miracle! Abraham was 99. And Zachariah was getting on too. No wonder neither of them could believe it at first. And they both questioned the message. But there's no arguing with an angel. Of course, both messages turned out to be true and their wives soon became pregnant. For Abraham, this marked a new era in his life. It was the start of his covenant with God. To seal that covenant, circumcision was introduced and they moved into the next phase of Israel's history. Abraham and Sarah and the three men were, who were in fact God, the three men, 
They sat down to a meal together, some nice beef with yoghurt and flatbread. And then the men said that they were off to Sodom. So Abraham walked part of the way with them. The men said they were going to see how much Sodom and Gomorrah had turned against God and to inflict punishment on the two cities. When Abraham heard this, he started to plead with the men for those towns. Supposing you find righteous people in among the wicked, surely you won't destroy the whole town. He appeals to God's justice and asks him to suspend judgment for the sake of the good people that might be living there. In Genesis 18, verse 25, he says to God, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? So Abraham negotiates with God and eventually gets him to agree that if he even finds only 10 good men in the whole place, he won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of those 10 good men. We see in the next chapter that there weren't even 10 good men to be found in Sodom and Gomorrah and it was destroyed. But Abraham's nephew Lot and his family were given time to escape. So Genesis links the prophecy of Abraham and Sarah's miraculous baby with this message of judgment and salvation. Abraham intercedes with God to have mercy on Sodom and Gomorrah if any good people are found there. And by doing that, Genesis hints at the role of Abraham's descendant, Jesus, who intercedes with God for us because he is the one good person for whose sake many can be saved from judgment. So what about John's birth? Zachariah is doing his job working in the temple. He too was interceding with God burning incense in the Holy of Holies on behalf of all the people who were praying outside. Then Gabriel appears and gives him the news that he and Elizabeth will have a son. This is what Gabriel says about that son. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That was John's role. And this is what Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have, a missionary to prepare the people for God. Sodom and Gomorrah lived their wicked lives with no regard for God and came under God's judgment despite Abraham's pleading. But this time, there is judgment coming, but Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, John, will give the people a chance to turn back to God and be saved. He will prepare the people ready for the Lord. This time, people can be saved. Six months later, still in the same chapter, Mary, pregnant with Jesus, visits Elizabeth and sings the Magnificat. That's a song of judgment tempered with mercy, of punishment and salvation. John's message was not one of justice and salvation. That was for Jesus to proclaim. John's role was to prepare the way for that, to turn people back to God before judgment comes. So what's the significance of these similarities? Luke wrote it like that to draw our attention to something about Abraham's story. But what? Well, it's this. 
Sarah's pregnancy marked the start of a new phase in Israel's history and began a covenant with God. Then Elizabeth's pregnancy, 3,000 years later, marks the end of that phase. The, parale the, the parallels between the two accounts tells us that another new era is about to begin. Jesus confirms that later in the Gospels when he's talking to John's disciples. He is the new wine in new wineskins. He is the bridegroom at the wedding. A bride and groom commit themselves to each other and they, their relationship moves into a new phase. And in the same way, God's relationship with his people is moving into a new phase as well. A new commitment, a new covenant, where mercy and forgiveness are freely available to those who turn to God. Turn to God now will be John's message. And by describing John's birth in that way, Luke is giving us a warning God is doing a new thing again, and you must be prepared. Don't risk what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah happening to you. Listen to what John will say. And that's an incredible message for us, isn't it? God sent Jesus to begin a new phase in his relationship with us. This time, not just with Abraham's descendants, the Jews, but with us too, Gentiles the whole world. He's still their God, but he's our God too, and we're his people. And under this new covenant, Jesus will take away the sting of judgment. When we turn to God and we rethink our lives in the light of his love, then God will forgive what's past, and we can too. Wipe it away, and God's grace and mercy will override his judgment. A lot of people live with a lot of guilt and regret, but this says we don't need to. For some of us, it's guilt about parenting. For others, guilt about not being a better person. Maybe guilt about a toxic relationship. I don't think it gets better as you get older either, quite frankly. But the amazing thing about John's message is his call to turn away from all that and instead turn to God, like a wife turns to her husband on their wedding day. Because God is doing a new thing. He's bringing his heavenly kingdom to earth and Jesus is leading it. Jesus' presence on earth, John says, means the kingdom is close at hand. It's right here. All we need to do is turn and step into it. And that's what we do when we say the confession in church. We turn away from the things we feel bad about and we turn to God, stepping into his kingdom through his mercy and forgiveness. And when we do that, we place ourselves under his grace, not under his judgment, as those bad things are washed away. And that's what baptism is about, washing away the past and being reborn as part of God's kingdom. The people who came to John were baptised as a sign of their recommitment to God and God's new commitment to them. And of course, that commitment is lived out in our lives in a constant rejection of everything wrong wherever we find it and turning to God at every opportunity. Because John says we can't follow Jesus and enter his kingdom 
unless we first prepare our hearts. We repent, we rethink, we turn to God. And that's what Advent is about, a chance to prepare our hearts for Jesus, to recommit ourselves as people of his kingdom. Luke gives a prophecy from Isaiah and about John's message. In the desert, someone is shouting, get the road ready for the Lord, get rid of every obstacle, make the way clear for his saving power. Do you have any obstacles in the way that stop you turning fully to God? Obstacles that stop Jesus from walking a straight path into your life. I think many of us have areas of our life that we neglect to pray about. That might be because we haven't bothered to bring it to Jesus. Maybe it's an area that we take for granted that things will be okay. I realized I was doing that. I've always had bad teeth and that's always meant a lot of visits to the dentist. And one day I realized that I never actually prayed about my teeth and perhaps I should. I realized it was an area of my life with an obstacle to God. And that obstacle was that I just hadn't bothered to pray about it. Once I did start praying about it, I felt a lot more at peace about my tooth problems and less anxious about what was going to happen every time I went to the dentist. I didn't get miraculously healed teeth, but I did feel a lot better about the whole, every, every time it happened, I just felt a lot better about it. Sometimes it's more than that. It's not that we don't bother to involve God, but there can be an area that we're just too worked up about to even pray about it. Maybe it's something we're a bit embarrassed about or something that's so overwhelming that we don't know where to start. If that's the case, then getting someone to pray with you is a big help. That's one reason why we pray for people when they're ill. Sometimes it's hard to pray when you're in the middle of it all. At a time like that, we need to help each other. We need to ask someone to pray for us, even if we don't share all the details. At a t about something or at a time when perhaps we can't pray for ourselves. I know that when my husband David was ill these past few months, I found all of your prayers here a huge reassurance and strength because there were times when I just didn't know what to say to God about it all. But I knew that that didn't matter because so many people here were praying for me. Your prayers were making a highway for, for God into that situation so that he could drive straight to the heart of it with his saving grace. Whatever it is and whatever the reason, John is saying, make a clear path for Jesus into every area of your life. Talk to God about everything that you do and then you'll know his saving power. You'll be ready for God's presence in your life. Is there an area of your life that you haven't turned over to Jesus? Maybe it's something big like your work or how you spend your money. Or maybe it's something smaller like your plans for Christmas. What is it that stops you bringing Jesus right in? We need to pray about what those obstacles are. For each of us, they'll be different. And this is something we have to do every day, a constant clearing away of obstacles. 
Growing in our faith is recognising where those areas are, seeing the obstacles and deliberately turning them round to face Jesus so that we're totally open to his grace, his love and forgiveness. So that's some of the things that John the Baptist tells us about the coming of Jesus. Jesus' birth is a sign that God's committing himself to a new phase in his relationship with us, offering us the chance to be part of his new kingdom that Jesus is establishing here on earth, and that we must prepare ourselves to be part of that kingdom by clearing a straight path for God into every area of our lives, not just once, but every day, and especially now in Advent this time of preparation.